series called The Love Series. And our first week, we talked about Jesus as our Good Samaritan. We talked about who is my neighbor. And what did we learn that week? That who is my neighbor? Who are we supposed to love? Everybody, always. We love everybody, always. No excuses. We love everybody, always. And I'll just clue you in on this. You cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit, because some people are just harder to love. Am I right? Not to name any names, but some people are harder to love. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to love everybody always. Then the next week, last week, we talked about the table of the Lord and how the Lord invites us to come and feast with him um, in the spirit of honor. You know, it is possible to honor someone, or I mean, to love someone it is possible, let me start over. It is possible to honor someone and not to love them, but it really is not possible to love someone and not honor them. To honor someone means to see their value, to see their worth. And when we love people, that is one way we can do that. And today, we are gonna be talking about one of my favorite topics. And it is the topic, I'm calling it encouragement, a close call. It's kind of a little play on words. It's a call to come close to the Lord. It's a call to come close in relationship. And we're gonna cover that today. Um, but before we do that, I, I just wanna address an issue. I know that uh, Halloween is really controversial and some people think that as believers in Jesus, we shouldn't celebrate Halloween. And, and we definitely, we don't, celebrate the demonic, we don't celebrate witchcraft, we don't celebrate the evil, but every day is a day that the Lord has made, and we are called to rejoice in it. So when we do the trunk or treat, we're just doing it to provide an opportunity for the kids to come and hang out together and see one another and kind of to be able to rejoice and to celebrate in it. Um, and who doesn't love to dress up in costume, right? I love to dress up in costume. This year for Halloween, I think I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to try to pull that one off. So anyway, this morning, encouragement. You know, the English word for encouragement means to put courage into someone. It means to encourage, to, to make them believe that they can do it, to, to give them the power and the, and the courage to trust in God. Ultimately, that's what it means. You know, it says in Joshua chapter one, it says, be strong, be courageous, do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Discouragement means you don't have courage. It means you're feeling um, maybe held back. You're feeling powerless over a, a situation or maybe over an emotion or maybe over your thoughts or whatever. But, but what we're called to do as believers is to end courage, to put courage into other people so that they can have the faith. Because it says, do not be discouraged. And the reason that you don't need to be discouraged is, who knows? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We can have hope. We can have faith to believe that no matter what your situation, no matter, I, I call them Red Sea circumstances. It's the circumstance where you have the Red Sea right here 
And then you have the Egyptian army right here, breathing down your neck, ready to kill you. And you're standing here going, there's no hope, right? These are the Red Sea situations where the Holy Spirit comes in and says, I've got this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do something unprecedented. I'm going to part the Red Seas, like Arthur was talking about, splitting the Red Sea. You know, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we imagine or ask. We have to believe that. And that is what encouragement is. As a matter of fact, do you know that the original word, the Greek word for encourage is parakletos, which means the same as the root for the word Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us. The Holy Spirit is the one who comforts us and encourages us and exhorts us. That's what we're called to do to other people. You know, as God encourages us, we are called to do that for other people. Now, encouragement, just as a principle, is like, for example, um, you, could, you could maybe encourage somebody to sign up for a marathon. Now, I would personally never do that because I don't get running. Like, I don't understand running. I understand running away from things that are scary, and I understand chasing after ball, but just running for the sake of running. How many are runners? Wow, I marvel. That's amazing. But, like, so encouraging somebody to do something like that, that is not the same as this word. What this word is talking about is a call for people to draw close to God, a call for for intimacy with the Lord. And it's also like a verdict on what does God say about this situation? So for example, if someone comes to you and they say, I've got this situation, I can't even imagine God is for me. I can't imagine God is gonna get me through this situation. And you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, can come to them and say, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. The paraclete, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside you. You know, Jesus says in John chapter 14, I will not leave you alone but I will send a comforter. I will send my Holy Spirit will instruct you and teach you everything you need to know. This is what the paraclete is, the Holy Spirit, the paracleo, the one who encourages. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And the way to understand and to know the will of God for your life is to know what it says about you in the Bible. Don't ever underestimate the significance and the weight of this book. And I'm going to say this till the day I die. The enemy will not stop trying to keep you from reading the Bible. The enemy will do whatever possible to keep you out of this book. Because in this book, you will find life. You will find encouragement. You will find hope. You will find exhortation. You will find all of the things that your soul needs in the Bible. And if you don't know where to start, start in the Psalms, start in the book of John, read the Proverbs. The Proverbs are the book of wisdom. But just 
understand and know what this word says so that when you're in a Red Sea situation, you can say, my God will provide for all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Or you can say, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving in your hearts, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And you can say, God is my refuge and my strength. He is my ever-present help in time of need. Therefore, I will not fear. Even if the mountains are cast into the heart of sea, you can say, I, I call it talking back to God, but not in a sassy way, but in a way, God, I believe you because I know you are gonna come through. I know that you are good. I know that you are faithful. Your word says I can stand on your truth. Your word says you will never fail me. And I love that song, Waymaker. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working because our feelings will lead us astray. Amen? Anybody ever been off with your feelings? Like you felt really strongly about something and then you realize, oh man, I am so full of it. Anybody else? Just me? <laughs> but the Bible says my flesh and my heart will fail me, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is like your plumb line right here. This is the book that tells you right from wrong. This is the book that tells you who you are. This is the book that tells you what God thinks about you. And remember what we talked about? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me. You will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Amen? He knows the plans and he wants to reveal it to you. This is a treasure chest right here. It's so full of things that can, I mean, there, I'm not gonna say there aren't confusing things. There's, there's confusing things in the Bible. Don't let those trip you up. If there's a question you have and you don't understand it, I mean, there's plenty of research you can do. There's a lot of weird websites, though, so be careful about Googling certain things because there's a lot of false doctrine out there. But the fact of the matter is that the Bible should interpret the Bible. So in other words, if you pull one verse out and it's contrary to everything else that it says in the Bible, don't believe that. The full counsel of God, the entire word of God. Amen? Can I get a shout out for the Bible? Woo! <laughs> All right, yeah, I love it. Okay, I want to tell you, this is, this is what the Bible tells us to do. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. How many brought their Bibles today? Paper Bible? Mm, gotta like that. Paper Bibles are so good. <laughs> uh, okay, it says here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Wait, that's not where I am. Verse nine, I'm sorry. Verse nine, I like verse 18 too. That one says, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. But here's where we really wanna go. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Okay, I'm gonna camp on this for a minute. There is the wrath of God. Do you know that? You know, God is a God of love. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God is love, but that doesn't mean that he is not a God of wrath for those who are disobedient, for those who do not believe in him, for those who reject him. Do you know that people send themselves to hell because they don't believe? The works of God is this, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. That is the works of God. 
Those are the works that save us. Jesus already went to the cross. Jesus died on the cross. God Almighty became human flesh, lived a perfect life, and then he paid the penalty. He took all of our sins upon himself and went to the cross and paid the price for our sins. And all we have to do is believe that and believe that God raised him on the dead, that Jesus Christ was crucified, died, buried, and then rose again on the third day. And it says if you believe that and you confess that with your mouth, you will be saved. And so, Jesus, so, so the word of God here, it says, God did not appoint us to wrath. God did not create us to punish us. You see, that's the thing. God gets his, he has this really bad reputation among some circles is that he's just this ticked off, annoyed God. Like he's annoyed all the time with everything we do. Now, God hates sin. God hates wickedness. God hates abuse. God hates all the things that are, that are damaging and destructive to his creation. He hates those things. As a matter of fact, it says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Now, keep in mind, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and rulers of the darkness and the power of the air. But it says, God created us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we were created, to obtain salvation, because he wants to be reconciled to us. He wants us to go to heaven. That song where it says, you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down, that's just a, a creative, kind of a poetic way. It's not false doctrine, but it's basically saying that God created us to save us. It says he came to seek and save that which was lost. The way we become lost is when we lose our way because of sin. But he wants to reconcile us to him and bring us to heaven forever to be with him. He created us for sal- to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now, this is it. Therefore, you remember the old saying, whenever there's a therefore, you should ask, why is it, what is it there for? The reason this therefore is therefore, it says, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Encourage one another. This is saying comfort each other, esteem one another, edify one another, Speak words of life to one another. Talk to each other about the Lord. Talk to each other. Remind each other that God is good, that God is all powerful. You know, my husband used to always say when we were in the middle of a trial or something painful, he would always say, you know what? God's got this. Can you just say that with me? God's got this. I want you to think of your situation right now. And I know that there are many who are going through really hard things, really painful things. Just want to say it again. God's got this. No matter what your pain, no matter what your trials, no matter what your level of depression or anxiety or your situation God is on the throne, seated in righteousness and majesty and power. Amen? He's got this. Let's say it again. God's got this. Don't forget. It says, therefore, encourage one another and edify each other. Build each other up. Don't tear each other down. 
You know, it, it's way easier to point out people's failures and their flaws and their sins than it is to help them out of them. And my pastor used to say that. He used to say, don't point out people's flaws or their sins unless you're willing to walk with them out of those sins. You don't have the right. You don't have the right to just do a drive-by criticism. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we're called to do. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 18. You know, Proverbs are the book of wisdom. And it says in Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, you have the power of death and life with your words. You can either build someone up and give them courage and, and give them hope and help them to walk toward the things of the Lord, or you can bring death to them. And you know, I can think of things throughout my life, just reckless words. The Bible says reckless words pierce like a knife. I can think of times in my life where just one comment was made and it just took residency in my brain. And then I would ruminate on it. And I would obsess over it and think about it again. And how many of you have ever struggled with just one thing someone said, just one little put down, one little condemnation or one criticism and it just wrecked you. See, the Lord is calling us to be agents of change, agents of life, agents of healing to people who are struggling with those lies, with those, those thoughts that keep causing them to be held back. The Lord is saying, I am calling you to bring life because that's what the Lord wants us to do for one another, to encourage each other, build each other up, edify each other, to bring life where there's death because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus can heal you even for those reckless words that were spoken over you, those painful words, those curses. Did you know the Bible says that an undeserved curse can't find a place to land? like it just has to float around. Don't let those false curses land in your brain because eventually they will go into your heart and they will take root. Don't let them. Instead, when those curses start up, reject them and start to speak who God says you are. God says you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging unto God. He says that you are chosen, you are beloved, you are holy and dearly loved. That's what he says about you. And it's not because you've done everything right. Every one of us is disqualified if we are based, if, if our salvation is based on our own works. Then we're all disqualified. That's why we base our works, I mean, we base our salvation on the works of Jesus, which was the one who went to the cross, and then all we have to do is believe and confess, and that's what he's calling us to do, and to confess it to each other. You know, confession just means to speak what God already knows, and that's what we need to do with one another, to build each other up. And the, and the power of your mouth, the words you say, you can, either, you can either tear somebody to shreds, or you can speak words of life, and courage, and hope.
Which one do you want to do? Life. Choose life. Um, there was a guy in my high school. I ran track. Um, I used to hurdle. I didn't understand the long distance thing, so um, I hurdled. <laughs> and the, the long distance runners didn't understand hurdling, though. But there was a guy who, he was kind of a self-appointed um, coach, and his name was Pastor Peterson. And he would come out to the practices when the long-distance runners would be running, and he would come and he would run alongside them. He'd go, okay, slow it down a little. You're not going to make it if you keep going at this pace. Okay, you only have two more laps to go. Okay, just, you know, he would sit there, and the whole time he would just be talking to them and encouraging them. You know, and then, he, and then at the tournaments, he'd run on the inside lane. He'd go, you're doing great, you're doing great. I mean, the rest of us would stay up in the stands and just yell out there, but Pastor Pete, they, we called him Pastor Pete the Pacer because he would come and he'd just be running. You can do this, you got this, you can do this. You're doing great. Oh, you're going a little too fast. Okay, slow it down. I mean, this guy, he helped so many runners win all of these awards because he just, he was just an encourager. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be like Pastor Pete the Pacer. Or we could call him Pastor Pete the Positive. <laughs> we are called to be that positive word to other people. Isn't this one of the most loving things that you can do? Is to, is to speak words of life to someone? And how many of us are wounded and damaged because we didn't have a Pastor Pete the Pacer to come alongside us? We were trying to figure it all out in our own brain. And trust me, the enemy understands that. The enemy of your souls is going to come right in and he's going to agree with those lies. He's going to agree with those curses. He's going to tell you how horrible you are. He's going to tell you all the sins you've committed. And I know this is another cliche, but it says when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Right? Like a fire, ring a bell. <laughs> The enemy wants you to focus on your past, but I, I heard this quote and it was that if you're focusing on your future, your past isn't gonna make that much of a difference because your past caused you to become who you are today and you can become even more like Jesus tomorrow. And this is what he wants us to do for one another is to speak those words to one another. There's another word called kaleo, which means to call out or to call aloud, to utter in a loud voice, to invite people. That is what we are called to do for one another, to, to invite one another, to trust the Lord, to invite one another to believe what God has said about us. I had a friend who, um, her name was Jane Arney. She was one of my closest friends, um, and she and her husband moved to Hawaii to plant a church and um, she developed breast cancer. And when she told me about her diagnosis, I said, you know what? God's gonna do something so sweet in the middle of this. I said, the Holy Spirit is gonna draw near you. And I said, you are gonna encounter God in such an intimate way. And isn't that true? Those times when we go through the deepest, darkest, most painful experiences, you sense his presence. You sense the presence of the Lord. And even if this is what James 1 is talking about when it says to rejoice in your suffering, because you know that there is an intimacy with Jesus that is found in no other place than in 
extreme suffering. And so instead of despising our suffering, take courage and trust that God is for you, that God is with you, that God is going to get you through that, that he has got this. I'm sorry for those of you who are English grammar Nazis, <laughs> but God's got this. Understand that he is for you and he is with you in the darkest, darkest hour. There is an intimacy with Jesus that comes through suffering. And my friend Jane, in stage four cancer, she continued to worship the Lord. She continued to praise his name. It was so convicting for everyone else because here she was completely bald, worshiping with all of her heart. Everyone knew she, she was not gonna survive. And yet, in the midst of that, she worshiped the Lord. And she told me when, when I called her and I just said, Jane, God's got something great for you through this. She told me I was the only person that encouraged her. Everyone else was just sad and miserable and, and really broken up about it, which I understand too. There is that too. But here's what we're called to do. We're called to remind people of the faithfulness of our God. We're called to tell people that faith is being sure of what we hope for and convinced of what we haven't seen. You know, anybody that knows me, you know that I have already claimed those mountains out there. I call those my mountains. And whenever somebody puts up a building and blocks my view, I get so annoyed. And the other day, I was walking and... And as I walked, there was this building, and I was, I was praying to the Lord. I was talking back to God. I was reminding God of the things that I believed about him. Not that he forgot, but, I, but I'm sitting there talking to the Lord, and I'm, there's this building in the way. But I knew that my mountains were back there behind that building, even though I couldn't see them. And as I walked along, I said, Lord, even though I don't see those mountains, I believe that's where my help comes from. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of the heavens and earth. And I knew, even as I walked, I just knew those mountains were back there. That's how we are called to walk with the Lord. Even when we don't see him, that He's back there. Those mountains were back there. And then as I kept walking, I came into this clearing and it was epic. All of a sudden, there the mountains were in all their full glory. And it was so awesome. I was like, Lord, sometimes we see you so clearly, but in those times where we can't see you, we still have to believe. We still have to continue to walk with him believing that he knows. He's gonna make our path straight. Amen? Don't you love hanging out with people who encourage you? Don't you love hanging out with people who remind you of the goodness and the faithfulness of God? Find people like that in your life. Find people that are gonna encourage you and infuse you with the courage to trust that our God is able. I'm gonna move on here. Um, there's a story. If you turn to the book of Acts chapter four, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John, on the room. Okay, here it is. Acts 4, 
starting with verse 36. This is a guy, he actually has a reputation for being an encourager. Can we, can we set that as our goal? Can we set that as our goal to be the one person at work that everybody knows that every time they come and talk to you, they're going to walk away encouraged? They're going to walk away feeling hopeful? Can you adopt that as your title? Anybody? Let's do this. Let's do it. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, and the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. This is his nickname, son of encouragement. And if you read the stories about him throughout the Bible, he's always the guy that's, that's going to bat for the underdog. He was always the one that was encouraging. It says here, he sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So this guy, not only was he an encourager, he also set the standard for generosity. You know the Bible says that the generous person will prosper? That if you're generous, you know there's a saying that says that you can't outgive God? You can't outgive God. It's true. You just, it says give and it will be given unto you. You know, I need to apologize because I have stood here at times and said, God doesn't want your money. Actually, God wants your money. Do you know why? Because your money is tied to your heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the thing is that God wants to test you in these things because he wants to blow your mind with his generosity and his faithfulness to you. You know, and when people, you know, they struggle to give a tithe, which is just 10%, of 100% that belongs to him. But it says, actually, you know, we're doing a, a, an outreach at Christmas for our ministry in the Philippines. There are 12 churches in the Philippines and we're, we're building an orphanage. They're reaching out to these impoverished people. And it says in the Proverbs, it says that if you ignore the needs of the poor, you too will cry out and not be heard. Wow. If you ignore the needs of the poor, you too will cry out and not be heard. I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Try to outgive God. Just try. I dare you. I dare you. I double dog dare you. <laughs> This is Barnabas. He's an encourager. He's, a, he, he's the one who's, he's setting the standard. He sold this field and he gave all of, the, all of the money to the apostles. He laid it at their feet. God wants your money because your heart is tied to your wallet. So loosen it up. Give it all to God. Give it all to the kingdom of God. It's, it's 100% his anyway. The earth is the Lord's and everything therein, everything that's contained within the earth belongs to God.